Welcome to F1 Reviews, a podcast where we rate and review each race in the F1 calendar. I am Doug Austin, along with my partner, Chris Costas. All right, race fans. So last week we told you we were going to come up with something special, and then immediately after we stopped recording, we came up with something special. So in the theme of uh, 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 keeping with our F1 Star Reviews podcast, by the way, my name is Doug Austin, and I'm here with Chris Costas. forgot to introduce hello, hello. my esteemed co-host. <laughs> uh, um, so what we decided to do is hop in the Wayback Machine and check out a classic race from the past. So, Chris, what race did we decide to pick for this one? So for this, uh, this was actually the first one that jumped to my mind, was uh, 2011 Canada. Yeah. Um, We won't give away any spoilers just yet for anyone who isn't familiar with the race. Although, if you're listening to the podcast, you're going to find out what happens before you have a chance to to watch the race. So (laughs) anyway, this ends with the amazing climactic finish of of Jensen Button chasing down Sebastian Vettel. And we see Vettel crack under pressure. And Button is able to do one of the most amazing drives I've ever seen from any... uh, from any F1 driver. And this is, um, you know, what's funny, because, you know, you mentioned we, we don't want to spoil too much of the end for people. This is one of those races that you can go back and watch, and even though you know everything that's going to happen, you're still like, oh, my God, this is so cool. <laughs> there, There is actually a lot that I forgot about from this race yeah. and just how close everything was. I mean, um, you know, to, to give some setup, the, the race was started behind the safety car because there was just so much rain going on. Right. And, you know, with the, the rain, um, j- just like we saw at the uh, uh, the Hungarian Grand Prix where it, it was really rainy to start, it started drying up, some people started going quicker and switching over to intermediates. But then, in this case, the rain came back, and it came back hard. Right. Um, but before we get too much ahead of ourselves um i think it's probably a good idea to go through the uh the starting order for this race absolutely and uh yeah and just not not only see where everyone started off but also uh mention some names that we haven't seen on the f1 grid for quite some time i mean this race was uh from nine years ago so yeah yeah so um first thing actually that's kind of interesting there are 24 drivers meaning that we had 12 teams in formula one right now, granted, some of those 12 teams were not particularly noteworthy to begin with. So, for example, uh, we had uh, Virgin Virgin Racing, yeah. which became Marussia, and in either incarnation were not really anything to write home about. <laughs> right. Um, in fact, outside the 107% time was Jerome D'Ambrosio, uh, who qualified dead last in this by almost a second behind uh, Narain Karthikeyan, which... Let's just say that's pretty slow. Yeah, um, yeah. If you're, yeah, if Narain Karthikeyan is is pivoting you to the line. So, um, but either way, um, that's not to say anything to a knock on Jerome D'Ambrosio because, as we know, he went on to have a lot of success in Formula E. Yeah, right. So that was pretty cool. Um, like I said, twenty third was uh, Narain Karthikeyan, um, who is nowadays uh, occasionally a uh, commentator for. Um, you know, for for the races nowadays, uh, the infamous Timo Glock is, is that Glock. You know, <laughs> is that Glock? Every every time I see uh, that name, that uh, that's all I can think of. I either think of that, or I think of Top Gear having a discussion with as the, as they say, "quote an uh, an Irish fellow, Tim O'Glock." <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> So next, twenty uh, first in the HRT. Remember the HRTs? Yeah, that's um, that's where uh, the Antonio uh, Liuzzi. HRT is where Daniel uh, Ricardo got us started, isn't it? That's true. Yeah, HRT. Uh, if not for them, uh, Daniel Ricardo may not have ever made it to Formula One. So, um, you know, they're an important part of Formula One history, albeit not the fastest part of Formula One history. <laughs> right. Followed up in twentieth by uh, Heike Kovalainen in a Lotus Renault which we should point out is different from the Renault Lotus. Right. Or, you know, I, I I was watching this race with my girlfriend, and she asks me, you know, so what's... The, so wait, this is Renault or Lotus? Because there's the other car. How does that work again? And I, I didn't know. 
Yeah, that's that's one of those stories that every time every time I revisit it, I have to actually look it up because I never remember which team is which. Right, and I'm not even going to try and explain what I think it is now because yeah. I'm sure I'm wrong. Well, I, I know I know the current team used to be the original Lo- the, the current Renault team used to be the original Lotus team, and the original Renault team became that Lotus Renault team before they completely disbanded. It was you know, it's it's really right. and, and apparently the the trademark the Lotus trademark is still there's still lawsuits going on about it. Interesting. Yeah, it's weird. Um, yeah, I mean, I know things in the court system, you know, m- are known to move incredibly slowly. So, right. You know, who, who knows how that'll turn out? But yeah, for for a few years there, it was really confusing. Where you know, one was a Lotus sponsored by Renault, and the other one was a Renault sponsored by Lotus. Right. And if, if they weren't different colors, I don't know how you'd tell them apart. But <laughs> yeah, um, it's weird. But both their drivers, uh, Yarno Truly and Heike Kovalainen. Um, both drivers that have found success in Formula One as well as other motorsport, uh, but only qualifying at 19th and 20th here. Um, in uh, 18th, uh, Jaime Elgashwari driving for Toro Rosso. Uh, back when Toro Rosso was uh, running the Ferrari engines. Right. Um, again, Elgashwari eventually found success with uh, Formula E. Um Next is uh, Pedro De La Rosa driving for Sauber back when it was just Sauber, not Sauber BMW, not Sauber Alfa Romeo, but right. Peter Sauber getting the cars together, you know, just the team. Um, Pedro De La Rosa, another great driver that, you know, we uh, haven't heard from in a long time, but has found lots of success in the world of motorsport. Rubens yeah, Barrichello. It's, it's, it's all these drivers that have had success, just not in, in very good machinery during this season. True. Yeah. Maybe maybe not this season. Um, I mean, obviously Rubens Barrichello with you know a few wins to his name, but yeah, you know when driving a Ferrari. So then uh, Sebastian Buemi, another uh, driver who eventually made his way over to Formula E and found considerable success there, uh, driving the other Toro Rosso. Then uh, a name that I think I just stopped training my I, I just trained myself to stop saying it was uh, Force <laughs> India. Yeah, with uh, Adrian Sutil driving that, he qualified 14th, and then uh, just ahead of him, actually one of my favorite drivers from this era uh, was Kamui Kobayashi mm-hmm. driving the other Sauber, and you know I I thought uh, Kobayashi was fantastic because he was driving a pretty midfield car, um, but you know occasionally like we even saw in this race where he was uh, you know racing against Alonso in a Ferrari and holding his own. Um, you know, and he, he would make some amazing overtakes, you know, like the kind of dive bomb overtakes from way back, and he'd somehow make them work out. You know, really aggressive driver, but a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just because he was in a sober doesn't mean that he was going to take it any easier. So he, he just pushed really hard. Then uh, a driver who pushed maybe a little over the line. Speaking of aggressive drivers, what, what yeah. I'm kidding. <laughs> Pastor Maldonado. When was <laughs> um, just the name? I'm sure you know everyone just goes off into their own. Oh, well, I remember this incident or there's that incident. But yeah, Pastor Maldonado, um, one of the most notorious names in Formula One for <laughs> you know. I mean, yeah, he caused a lot of wrecks, but he also won a race. Yeah, on merit. You yeah. know, it wasn't a technicality. He won that race. Yeah, so yeah, and, and and holding off Fernando Alonso, no less. Right. <laughs> um. Yeah, in, and in this race, he's driving a Williams. Um, this particular race, I didn't see too much out of Pastor, but that's probably good in this case. <laughs> um, right. Yeah, I mean, there was plenty to watch. Um, next in 11th was uh, Paul DiResta driving the other Force India, um, a- another driver who is now a part-time commentator for Formula One. Yeah. Um, Good to see him back in a car. Uh, one, one comment on, on uh, Paul DiResta real quick. Oh, sure. uh, uh, my, my wife goes you know he, she, he comes up on the screen and, and she, the first thing she says is he doesn't look old enough to have been driving a formula one car back in 2011 <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't age he yeah. still he looks like he's you know early 20s i'm jealous right <laughs> i i think that when he said that he's going to retire from formula one racing and become a commentator he was still by far the youngest commentator yeah so you know i guess uh get your career uh, wrapped up early and then enjoy retirement. Yeah. Then uh, ninth and tenth was the uh, Renault pair 
of uh, Nick Heidfield and Vitaly Petrov. Yes, that that Russian driver before Daniel Kvyat. Right. Next up, we've got uh, the the great Michael Schumacher qualifying eighth in uh, the Mercedes, which. Both of those don't sound right for an eighth place, but right. it was also 2011. Yeah. You know, th- this was, I believe, Mercedes' second year in Formula One. Um, and Michael Schumacher, he was kind of coaxed back out of retirement. So he was a little, you know, off his game, I guess, uh, coming back. So, yeah. you know, they were only able to reach uh, eighth place in qualifying. And being that it was only their second year back in Formula One after a really, 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 really long hiatus, you know they they were starting to to build up on that. Apparently, the whole the, from at least the way that I read the story, it, uh, the only reason that Mercedes was willing to field a Formula One team is because they got uh, um, Michael Schumacher on board. Had that not happened, we wouldn't have Mercedes in Formula One right now. And I know hindsight is twenty twenty, but you know let, let's look at where Mercedes came from in this. I mean, they bought Braun, which won the championship. Right. You know, they bought what was effectively the best team with the best car. Um, and it was called Braun because Ross Braun, one of the most successful uh, engineers in Formula One, they had Michael Schumacher, the, you know, the most successful driver in Formula One. Um, and even before that, it was owned by Honda, which may not have found a ton of success, but they had been pouring millions into this team. Yeah. Um, until the crash of 2008. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Honda's a big enough company that they were, you know, like, we just got to walk away at this point. But they had already sunk millions into this. So they basically just bought a team that was like a turnkey ready to go and had all the right parts and all the right things in place with, a, you know, all this money that had just been invested in it. So, you know, I, I think if, if you're saying that it's their second year and they're only at eighth, you know, that, that seems pretty realistic. Yeah. If you're able to buy a top-tier team like that and you're already in the top ten in qualifying. Right. Uh, both your drivers. Because so we'll get to uh, Nico Rosberg, who qualified sixth. Yeah. Um, Jensen Button, the uh, the star of the show, that if, you know, you're rewatching this race, watch Jensen throughout the whole race. So he started seventh. Right, right. In the, the McLaren and I had to qualify this one to start. This is back when McLaren was really good. Right. Yeah, this is, this is uh, <laughs> the, at the beginning of their kind of downward spiral. True, true. Yeah, then uh, next we have Nico Rosberg in the Mercedes. Lewis Hamilton, also in the McLaren. Like you said, the beginning of kind of the downward spiral where, you know, you could even see just from this race uh, some of the body language from Lewis that – you know, th- there were uh, some things that he probably wasn't happy about in the team. Yeah. Um, but uh, we'll get to some of that throughout the race. Of course. Um, then uh, rounding out the, qu- the qualifying, Mark Webber in the Red Bull qualifying fourth. And uh, and I don't, I don't know what it was, but for me, I felt like every single time I watched Mark, Mark Webber in a Red Bull, he would either qualify fourth or finish fourth or both. <laughs> yeah. I would always see him in that fourth place position. Um and I'm guessing, at least in this case, the Ferraris were a little stronger with uh, Felipe Massa and Fernando Alonso. Yeah, that's that's one heck of a lineup to have to have in your car. Yeah, um, you know, I, I think that this was kind of past Felipe Massa's prime, unfortunately. Um, I mean, I know back you know back in his day, um, he he was incredibly quick, but he had that incident where you know he got hit in the face with a spring at like 180 or something. Yeah, and. Uh, you know, I, I, it's a miracle that he even lived through that. But I think that that kind of that knocked him off of that peak intensity a little bit. So yeah, you know, he he was always quick, but you, you kind of saw him sliding out of contention, uh, you know, throughout his remaining years. Mm-hmm. But uh, Fernando Alonso, really cool to see him in a Ferrari. You know, in a competitive Ferrari too. Yeah. Um, and drive. You know, driving quick. And what's funny is uh, his car number, because they they did car numbers differently back then. Where net, where it was just based on last year's championship order. Yeah. So he was fifth. So number five, just like Vettel's Ferrari of this year. Mm-hmm. Oh. So it was kind of weird to see a red, uh, you know, number five Ferrari 
with a world champion driving. You, you know, I didn't even click. I didn't even click that together in my head. Um, and speaking of Sebastian Vettel on pole, uh, Vettel, this is you know Vettel in his prime. Um, still fairly new to Formula One, but he's got one championship under his belt, right? And uh, was already dominating this season. So, yeah, he was he's up in front with the Red Bull with Renault engines uh, back when that was working for them. Ba- back when the marriage was going well. Right. Uh, <laughs> back when Renault engines, I guess, worked. Um, so, a- as we said, the race, um, unfortunately, starts off to a pretty slow start. Um, starting behind the safety car, um, there's just so much water on the track that they can't you know, really do much. Um, and uh, they just kind of have to keep on going around in this parade to pull enough water off the track so that there's some semblance of a dry line that they can race on. And once they do, uh, one of the first things that happens, uh, Hamilton uh, bumps Weber. Weber spins around. Yep. And pretty much from this point, Weber's race is done. You know, he, he fought back, but, you know, it, it took him out of uh, a really good position. But that also wouldn't be the last time Hamilton has an issue along the way. Um, but a- just after that, we got to see what I thought was, especially looking back from, from 2020, back in 2011, we get to see Lewis Hamilton and Michael Schumacher battling. That was pretty amazing. How cool is that, you know, to see those guys um, going at each other in equal, you know, well, mostly equal machinery. Right. Yeah, that, that unfortunately it was a little short-lived. I, I mean, I think we could have watched that all day, but yeah. the little bit we did get to see, that was pretty cool. And because Hamilton was really on a charge then, um, you know, he, he was able to get around Schumacher and eventually left him behind and uh, came up on his teammate uh, Jensen Button and... I would have thought was kind of a risky place to pass. Uh, he ends up was on the front straight coming out of the, uh, the final chicane by the wall of champions. Yeah. He moves to the left between the pit wall and button and either button didn't see him or didn't think he would actually try a move there, but he basically just got squeezed against the wall and, uh, ended up, I, I believe, uh, breaking his wheel. Yeah. It looked like it broke his uh, rear suspension against the wall and then it, w- it was honestly really lucky that button didn't didn't completely biff it into the wall actually as we and as we go forward it's it's amazing that button didn't have any any kind of issues right and was able to keep on going to win the race because he you know he he uh, got into an issue with hamilton here which he easily could have been turned face first into the wall mm-hmm. and you know wrecked the car right there um but yeah he he gets away with no damage um and then as they're going to safety car at this point, this is where Button, um, I guess he, he gets a penalty for driving too fast under safety car conditions. Now, my understanding is that if the safety car is out, as long as you're not passing it or anyone else on track, nothing should happen to you. Well, the, so what it is, though, it's it's when you're getting ready to queue up behind the safety car. So when uh, everybody's catching up to it. You they, they during the in between the timing markers you have to keep to a specific time and okay, between so this, between two of the markers he went a little bit too quick so he like he made it to the next marker too quickly and that's where they got him on that uh, violation. Uh, I see. Um, so this was kind of like virtual safety car before there was virtual safety car. Kinda, yeah, yeah. Well, just just like any time when the safety car comes out, all the car like the safety car has got to pick up the the um, the 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 first car, right? And then everybody else has got to catch right. up so that way they're all together. They're all bunched up together. So um, you can't drive at f- you know you can't drive flat out until you get to the safety car. You have to maintain a certain slower speed. So yeah, yeah, very much like a virtual safety car. Yeah, I mean, that, that's interesting, you know, just to look back at this race and realize, like, oh, yeah, I mean, we take virtual safety car for granted now, um, but especially a race like this where, what was it, I think there were four or five safety car deployments. Yeah. Um, where a lot of these, you know, maybe they could have just been done with a, uh, a virtual safety car. Um, for example, um, later on, just after this, they ended up sending out the, when the rain started coming back, because this whole time it had been drying, um, you know, people are p- going to Inters, um, I don't think anyone went to Slicks yet, but... No, not not during that period. People are, 
Yeah, Button was one of the first ones to right. go to Inters. He did that on lap eight. Right. So so he he pits lap eight. Then he also has to do the drive-through penalty for that uh, speeding under the safety yep. car. Um, so already he's two stops in. Yeah. There's a, most of the races we've seen in the past couple of years. You only make two stops. Yeah. But, you know, barely ten laps in, and we've already got Button stopping twice. Um, and uh, and so what's interesting is that they go back green again, but the rain starts to roll back in. And I guess rather than risk some kind of big wreck, they immediately go to safety car. Yeah. Um, and the funny thing is that was, that was after a whole bunch of people came in for, for enters. Cause, cause, uh, uh, yeah, button did that on lap eight. Then in, on lap 13 is when he does his, um, I'm looking at the pit stops right now. Oh, no, no, sorry. He does that on, on lap 19 at the same time as okay. Alonso comes in and Schumacher comes in for enters and then a whole bunch of other cars on lap 20 and 21 realize the pace advantage. Um, but everybody else that stays out says, well, wait a minute, there's more rain that's supposed to be coming. So they, so like Vettel and all the, uh, you know, a lot of the, the, the front runners realize that, you know, we should just stay out and we'll be, we'll be better off eventually for it. And then sure enough, like, yeah, you point out the, the, the safety car comes out and, all the drivers are complaining. They can't see their 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 hydroplaning, uh, um, and it was it was. Uh, I think at, at, at a couple of points, uh, Vettel says this is completely undrivable. Yeah, he was saying um, basically towards the second, the back half of the circuit. I think all of sector three basically was, you know, just undrivable because there's so much water, and uh, you know, just a quick technical explanation for anyone who's interested. Um, but the the amount that the thickness of the tread on those wet tires, um, there has, you know, the reason that they have that is so that there's channels for the water to flow in and the rubber can still meet the pavement. Yeah. Once you inundate that with so much water, um, you're trying to force more water into those tread blocks that it actually keeps the tire from making good contact with the pavement. And if you're just floating on water, the car basically turns into a boat and you're liable to just slide off and have no control over, uh, you know, where you end up going, especially if you end up hitting grass. Yeah. Um, just, you know, if, if you go back and you watch the race, there's a few of these, uh, excellent helicopter shots where they're looking down at that section of the track. And since the, uh, the circuit Gilles Villeneuve is located on an Island, you can see like in the river right there, it's the same level water as it is at the track. And, I think it's, you know, it's amazing that we didn't actually have an issue where, uh, you know, the water level was high enough that part of the track was underwater. Right, right. Uh, it, it, it was just an insane amount of uh, rain coming down at that at that time. So, you know, it's, it's about the only time I've seen a preemptive safety car. Again, I think uh, a virtual safety car, had that been invented by this point, probably would have been an, a better option. Yeah. But, uh but eventually, they red flag the race. Everyone goes back to the pits. You know, drivers are out of the car. And I'm not going to lie, I fast-forwarded through all of it. It was about two hours of drivers standing around, announcers not knowing what to talk about, <laughs> um, shots of miserable Canadians out in the rain. And, uh, you know, you just kind of keep on fast-forwarding through, and you're like, you know, how when is the race going to restart? Yeah. Well, just imagine watching that um, live. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of people who, uh, you know, their DVR or the tape they put in that, that ran out and they only <laughs> saw the first part of the race. Yeah. And, but, the the uh, funny thing is at the, at, at the end of the race, Martin Brundle, uh, is, is like, yeah, so we've been, uh, we've been talking for like four and a half hours. Um, I'm looking forward to not having to talk anymore for the rest of the day. <laughs> <laughs> but eventually the race does restart. And, uh, and, and I think with everyone, you know, ha- having to wait for so long for the race to continue and then they start under the safety car again. So it's a rolling start, but everyone is equally chomping at the bit. And they did almost what? 10 laps under that, that, that second safety car start, didn't they? It was close to 10 laps, I think. Right. I think that, you know, they were basically in this race anyway, they were using the, the cars to kind of, uh, vacuum up some of the water. Right. Just you know, as opposed to just sending them out on a wet surface, at least giving a, give them a fighting chance to feel out the, the track, figure out where the deep puddles of water are. Cause you know, you'll change your line depending on how, where that is. Yeah. But 
I think the biggest thing is just to try and make some semblance of a dry line so that you can have a race. Yeah, and it, and it got to the point where, like, not long after that safety car, uh, uh, after that restart, like, within a couple of laps, people were already coming in for enters. Yeah, because, I mean, because the rain had pretty much stopped, and a, a dry line developed pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, but also right after uh, the green flag went again, um, Button gets into an incident with Alonzo uh, going into that first, well, I guess the second chicane. It, it, to me, it looked like Button was looking at a move on the inside going into that chicane, and Alonzo gave him just enough space on the way in, but Alonzo took a normal line. So Button this is just, you know, uh, giving him the benefit of the doubt, maybe slid on some of the water out there and ended up, na- you know, nailing Alonzo in the rear, spun him around, and what I thought was pretty comical was seeing Alonzo up on that curve yeah. with his front half of the car just in the air. Right, right. You know, and he's calling for help. One of the marshals runs over, and the one marshal, he's trying to push him out of the out of the grass, but he can't do it, and he just waves his arms. He's like, nope, this is not happening. You're done, man. Yeah. Was, and then and then sad Alonzo. Sad Alonzo. <laughs> that uh, story of his life, right? Yeah. <laughs> So that happens, and then uh, uh, Button has the pit to get his because he he gets, has the uh, what front yeah he had a front left puncture, so he has the pit. Right. That puts him at the back of the field. That puts him yeah. all the way and back, I and I, at that point, that put him back to what twenty first. I believe so, because yeah, Hamilton was out, Alonzo was out, and there's probably another person that I'm yeah, Co- uh, Kovalainen was out at yeah. that point too. So yeah, I mean he was he was out and by all means you would think okay he's three or four pit stops in he's already had incidents with at least two other cars there's no reason why anyone would be betting on button at this point right to salvage any kind of meaningful finish let alone a win but as we go the uh you know the race kind of plays out and from here it settles into more of what you'd expect a normal formula one race to be um, you know, with the, the dry line still developing, but passing's really difficult just because as soon as you put one wheel onto the wet, you're not going to have nearly the performance that you would have just staying on the dry line. So, um, and especially with a lot of people going to intermediates, yeah. um, you know, and depending on that grip, things kind of progress from that point. Um, and then, uh, we see Nick Heidfeld chasing down Kamui Kobayashi, mm-hmm. which, this I thought was just kind of interesting because, you know, here's two cars that, you know, the teams don't really exist anymore. Neither driver's driving either either uh, anymore. So there was really, at least for me, no preconceived notions about what should be happening in this case. But I guess that the, uh, the they kept saying that the Lotus Renault, either way, the black and gold one, um, it had so much grip off the corners and they were saying that both cars were, you know, Vitaly Petrov and Nick Hadfeld were able to get all this grip off the corners, and they were actually able to stay ahead. I believe uh, they were racing Mark Weber, was it, at one point? Yeah, yeah. And he couldn't, he couldn't get around them just because they had so much grip off the corners, even with DRS. And and it wasn't even just that they that they had so much so much grip, but the Red Bulls specifically were having a hard time getting grip out of the corners. So it was it was kind of doubly working against Weber when he was trying to get around right it it made it really difficult and unfortunately we saw where you know the the lotus renos having that much grip uh, where it caused a problem that you know heidfeld was ready to go out of that uh, uh i believe the turn two hairpin at the beginning of the lap and uh kobayashi's sauber just didn't you know wasn't ready to go as quickly uh or I believe he may have uh, strayed a little bit wide. Yeah, he was a little bit on that wet on that wet area too. Right, and it it looked like uh, he wasn't able to get out of the way. Uh, the Lotus Renault, uh, he just kind of bumped him uh, behind and just tweaked the wing a little bit. And you know, he, he they eventually chase you know he- head down towards the next chicane, and it looks like well this kind of sucks for this battle, so he's going to have to pit and get the nose replaced. But then as soon as I thought that, the whole front wing of uh, Nick Heidfeld's car folds up and under the front wheels of the car. It just launches the nose skyward for a second. He just comes down, destroys the wing. Carbon just shoots everywhere. And he's doing everything he can to get the thing stopped. Um, But that leads to another safety car. 
So the crazy thing is, is between those two safety cars, so between the one, uh, uh, the, the, the incident with Alonso and between the Nick Heidfeld incident, uh, um, Jensen Button goes from 21st, and I think he ended up in 5th by the time the Heidfeld incident happens. Yeah. So he shot through the field. It was, yeah. it was pretty crazy. Yeah, he, he got, you know, he, he just got amazingly lucky and was a good enough driver that he could capitalize on whatever situation the race threw at him, which, you know, there were quite a lot, but he, he made the best of it. Also, for the safety car, it, it was kind of amazing how, I mean, like I said, there was a ton of carbon fiber all over that section of track. Yeah. And, you know, me and my girlfriend, we were both watching this, like, kind of, are they going to do a safety car? You can't really run through that. You yeah, know? right. Even if it's wet in those areas and it, the dry line is clear, but you got to clean that up, right? And so maybe half a lap later, then they went to safety car, um, which, again, I think was only an issue because the safety car had to wait that long to pick up the leaders. So that's why maybe that's why it wasn't done until then. But then the marshals are charged with having to clean all these little pieces of carbon fiber off the track. And, you know, you see maybe uh, four or five of them out there. And some of them, I think, are more experienced marshals who are familiar with having to run out, grab pieces, or in some cases just kick them out of the way. And then there's, I, I don't know if he was a photographer or whatever, but he was not, he didn't look like a marshal. <laughs> But he goes out to try and grab some uh, carbon fiber to pull it out of the way. And he he falls down. He just trips on his own feet, falls down, sees a race car coming at him, tries to jump back up, falls down again, and eventually just, like, drags himself off the course, um, which I thought that was... You know, that was pretty not, funny. Not to it's laugh at this guy's terrifying pain. in the moment. That's one of those things where, like, oh, you, yeah. you have nightmares about something like that. Like, I've I've had night, nightmares every now and then where, like, I'm trying to walk across the street as a bunch of cars are coming, and it feels like I'm just like my my, my feet are in cement, or I can't stop tripping as a whole bunch of cars right. are flying down the street at me. So to see that happen in real life, it's like that's that's just a nightmare personified. <laughs> Yeah, that's, I mean, that's terrifying, you know, to watch this guy, um, you know, one, one of the classic, uh, I'm a big Alfred Hitchcock fan, and one of the classic things that he does in the movies is to present a situation where you understand how, how you know, there's an implication of how bad things could get, and you see that about to happen to someone else, but there's nothing you can do to help them get out of the way, and you just have to see him, oh, he fell over, come on, come on, get up, man, come on, come on, go, and then he falls down again, and you start, just, no, oh, get up, go, go, <laughs> and you're just yelling at the TV at this guy, and you, you know, um, and even, you know, there, there's plenty of other marshals out there, too, so I don't know who's in charge of that corner who just said, all right, everyone, run, go, you know, they can't hit all of us, but. <laughs> they can't hit all um, of us. You know, but. Right, but car, you know, cars are still coming through, and occasion, you know, occasionally some of them are trying to keep their tires warm. I saw, uh, I, f- I forget who it was. I believe it was a Toro Rosso, but you know, kind of uh, firing up the tires as they come up that way a little bit, just to keep some heat in them. And to hear, you know, an F one car shrieking like that again. These are the V eight cars. Yeah, we'll have to talk about that in a minute too. But just to see these cars coming up and. You know, you got to jump out of the way and try and, you know, do your job all at the same time. Um, you know, it's pretty wild to see. You don't see that all the time. So after that safety car, really, I think this is where if all of that wasn't exciting enough for you, this would be the part of the race to watch. Uh, basically, the last 10 laps where they go green again. Um, Vettel makes a really good start and gets away from uh, the rest of the pack. Michael Schumacher is driving one of his best races since returning. He's running second, but he's being hounded by Mark Webber. Mm-hmm. And behind Mark Webber is Jensen Button, who, like we said, has made six pit stops and a drive-through penalty the whole race. Yeah. Has been in incidents and somehow finds himself in fourth place and holding on to them pretty well. And driving um, so much faster than everybody else, too, at that point. Right. Um, you could start seeing the, uh, the fastest lap ticker at the bottom of the screen um it just said button and it was just like seconds that he was clawing away every lap so um you know he was in a really good place and real in in a good place to 
to do some overtaking. Weber and Schumacher are kind of going at it. They're, you know, you can actually see as they come down that long straight towards the last chicane, Schumacher's looking in his mirrors, you know, which way is uh, Weber going to go? And Weber is, again, having a hard time making that last chicane and electing to just kind of cut through the middle of it, give up the time, and then go uh, for a pass the next lap. And uh, it, it was frustrating seeing Weber trying over and over to pass Schumacher, and especially knowing that Button's right there, and that Button was probably quicker than both of them, as we found out yeah. not too long after. Yeah, and Michael kept putting his car in that perfect spot where you can't, like, you, you have to make a quick decision whether you're going to try on the outside or try on the inside, because Schumacher wasn't taking the normal line through that, that last chicane, and that was what was causing, um, at least I think, Weber to have a hard time getting around him. That's just experience. Right. I mean, Schumacher has tons of experience, and his entire time in Formula One has been marked just that he knows so well about you know the, the more psychological aspects of Formula One. Yeah. Um, you know, that as this racing's happening, you have to be able to plan ahead and predict what your opponent's going to do and figure out how to position yourself to advance. Um, it's... You know, it's just amazing to see how good he is at that, even if he's in maybe a slower car or at a more disadvantage or disadvantageous position. And he, and he forces Weber into into enough of a mistake that allows um, that that allows Button to get by. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, Weber almost uh, hits the wall of champions there. It looked well, like he went through the you know the middle part of the chicane, and he almost came out wide enough to hit the wall of champions, yeah. but. Uh, Button was thinking quickly enough that he was able to move around him. He had to go into that wet part of the track, and somehow he kept that going straight and was able to get a good enough uh, drive to get around Weber. But immediately, Button is on the back of Schumacher and doing everything he can to get around him. Eventually, uh, he makes the move. Yeah, he just he just overpowered him in that um, in that long straightaway leading up to the last chicane. He just basically got by him before the before he even got to the uh, the chicane. Yeah, it w- and it was. In- I thought it was interesting how uh, between Weber and Button on Schumacher, you know, they were both basically faced with the same challenge of how do you get around Schumacher and in the same corner, pretty much. Yeah, and it was just really neat to see that. To me, it looked like Button just had a lot more confidence in his car and felt like he could get the job done uh, quicker. Whereas Weber, I think you could sense the frustration and him trying but not quite being able to make it happen. And that ultimately held him back, I think. He did eventually make it around Schumacher. But then once Button is in second place, he just starts this charge. And he's just, eat, you know, pulling time out of Vettel's lead. Yeah, it was some, it was something like a second a lap. Yeah, I mean, up to, I believe they said as much as two seconds a lap yeah. over Vettel, which is just unbelievable. Um, but even, you know, a second a lap with maybe I think it was like three or four laps to go and he's chasing him down um, until they're down to two laps to go. He's within DRS range and he's right there, you know? And I think under any other circumstances, it would have been, you know, it, you can catch him, but you got to pass. Him. Right. Right. How are you going to make that happen in one lap? And, you know, the big uh, crescendo of the race where Vettel, um, you know, you can see him looking in the mirrors and getting nervous. You can see uh, there's a couple of spots where he locked up his brakes, and you could just tell he wasn't happy with the situation. And eventually he makes a mistake in one of the back chicanes, goes a little wide, almost spins, but it's enough for Button to sneak by, finish the other half of the lap, and uh, cruise to an uh, easy victory. That race was tense, through. I, I think, through, throughout the entire race. It was just on the edge of your seat. And even what nine years later, it's still you, you know what's going to happen, and you're still like surprised by it. Right, absolutely. Um, it's uh, and, and one thing actually that my my girlfriend pointed out to me was this in kind of a cruel way is a, a, a look into Vettel's future. Yeah, that the closer he comes to. Uh, 
to winning or the championship or when he goes to drive for Ferrari, anytime he flies a little too close to the sun, he ends up, you know, his own uh, personal psychology ends up burning him. Yeah. Um, you know, all the times in, you know, at Ferrari where he would have a good opportunity, he just gets a little too excited and he, and he spins mm-hmm. and he screws up his own race. You know, it's, we, we saw it here too. And fortunately, I think the Red Bull was a car that just suited him a little bit better. That even here, where like he almost spun, but it didn't, it was probably an easier car to drive than the Ferrari. But it's just kind of uh, this look, you know, at him kind of becoming the Icarus of uh, Formula One. Yeah, and he's still like he wins the championship that year and then and, and two more after that. So he's still. Like at this point, he's the mistake didn't ultimately end up costing him. However, it did make the the um, the finish of that championship a bit closer than it probably would have otherwise been. True. Yeah. Um, it's. Um, I, I mean, I know the the feeling a little bit myself when you are able to, you know, you know you're so close, and then there's that little voice in the back of that of your head that says but what if it all screwed up right now you know what if you lost it all right now it would be so tragic wouldn't it and it's you know it, it's obviously not something i think anyone wants to to do but um you know when that happens especially to vettel you know yeah that, that's just, that's that's too bad for him but um you know it, it's a trend that we see and i think it started here um, before we move into our ultimate race review of this, um, are there any honorable mentions, Doug, that you might have of things that you didn't realize you missed, uh, drivers you enjoyed watching, teams that we missed, um, anything about 2011 that has since changed now that we're in 2020? So the, 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 honestly, the, the, the biggest thing that, that I miss from that era is just the sound of the cars themselves. That, that, that really high pitched really? V8. It just sound it just sounds, yeah. it, they sound fast. And it's not that the, it's not that the modern cars don't sound fast, but these ones, like, you know, it, you know what you're hearing, you know, it's a formula one car. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely can't, uh, you know, argue with that, that they sound fast. Um, the V8s absolutely sound a lot better than uh, any of the cars that we've had in the V6 era. But I would also, I was also going to say that it wasn't a constant point of contention for me that, you know, every single engine t- sound I heard, I, you know, I was immediately filled with adrenaline and, oh, wow, this is so much better. It was, you know, it sounded different for sure. And there were a couple onboards that sounded really cool, um, but it didn't like make or break the race for me. The oh, way for sure. V six naysayers would say that it would, but that's just me. Yeah, it, it was. Just, it was just something that was in in the back of my mind the whole time. I'm like, I miss, this is. It's a sound that I miss. But yeah, there was there was a lot of neck and neck racing. Uh, um, the cars seem to be closer together. Like you know, the top twelve. Like I'm just looking looking at the 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 timesheet. The top twelve were all on the lead lap. And nobody was was more than a lap behind, right? And it was, uh, I mean, there there were good battles to be fu- to be found from the beginning to the end of the race. In fact, um, I think one of the one of the best ones uh, was uh, seeing Kobayashi and Felipe Massa cross the line within, I mean, literally hundreds of each other. Yeah, it was it was that close. Well, Kobayashi um, spent a lot of time in second place and was defending it really really well too. Right. Again, like there's, you know, some drivers that I just miss seeing in Formula One because um, they were really exciting to watch. Um, I'm sure I could go back and find a lot of examples of uh, Kamui Kobayashi, you know, really take, you know, taking the fight to the big boys when he's only driving a Sauber. Yeah. And, you know, he was a blast to watch and especially in second place, you know, defending from the whole field minus Vettel um, is pretty impressive. So. It was nice to see him back in the race. Yeah, the cool thing is, at least back then, Sauber was usually a pretty solidly midfield team. Uh, um, I think they, they, I know they have at least one win. They got, they got one with uh, um, with uh, Robert Kubica, but didn't they? Did they have any other wins other than his? I don't remember. Uh, Sauber. Yeah. Um. You know, I'm 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 really not sure. I may have to go back and uh, review my F1 history a little more. Uh, but yeah. Just, even just saying that, like, you know, Robert Kubica in a Sauber won a race. 
That just sounds weird to me. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, comparing some of the differences, um, you know, present day to back then, um, I, I know it might be a small gripe, but I thought it was interesting how the the way that they laid out where the drivers were, you know, the race order, um, instead of being one column on the left-hand side of the screen, it was this rotating, uh, you know, maybe six at a time or something along the bottom. Yeah. Which wasn't always helpful, and I'm really glad that they've just gone to, we're going to have everything in one column, and you can constantly see what's going on with each car. Right, right. And and, and being able to, so something that I've been doing, I started doing this uh, this year on a uh, recommendation of uh, um, a friend of mine, Gunner. He uh, actually, you know, he brought his iPad over one time last year. We watched the, uh, the U.S. Grand Prix last year, and he came over and he had the live timing up on his iPad. That, and I thought that was kind of interesting. So the first couple of races of this season, I had the live timing up on my iPad. It was kind of interesting to watch because you can see more information live as it's happening. Like, you know, you can, you can keep track of what tires everybody has on. You can actually bring up a little map and things like that. So watching this right. without that live timing was actually really, you know, I f- I'm like, I don't know as much as I probably should know right now. <laughs> right. And I think I've been kind of used to, you know, that, that feeling of, you know, I'm just walking into a room and I don't really know what's going on, but I can at least see what's going on. I have my memory. I think that these guys are on this tire, but, um, you know, that, that's something I'm going to have to get more into the, into the swing as we continue on this year. Um, it's just so cool that we have live timing available in general. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, really it was only a couple of, you know, like two decades ago, where if you wanted to watch Formula One, you basically had to wake up at three in the morning yeah. and catch it on Speed Channel or something way in the back of your, you know, whatever your family's cable package was. Right. Um, otherwise, you just didn't watch Formula One. Um, you know, I watched Champ Car, and then once Alex Zanardi, you know, one of my favorite drivers ever, mm-hmm. uh, hope he's doing well. Um, when he went to Formula One, I basically had to give up watching him because you couldn't. You know, there wasn't a a feasible avenue for me to do that. And, uh, you know, I just wait for the auto week to come out and uh, read about the race afterwards. Yeah. It's fortunate that we have things like, you know, the F1 TV app uh, that we're able to follow live timing and everything. So, um, you know, just I guess I'm just trying to say, like, it's nice to be a Formula One fan in 2020, even if we had to miss, you know, half the summer to coronavirus. They're they're definitely making up for it because uh, um, they yeah they they announced three more races. Um, we're gonna be racing at at Imola again for for the first time since what two thousand six. Yeah, I saw a jo- I saw a joke earlier. Or it was like earlier today or yesterday. It was like, yeah, last time Formula One raced it at uh, Imola, uh, uh, Lando Norris was five. I can't remember who they said. Uh, um, uh, Max Verstappen was six, and uh, um, Kimi Räikkönen was fifth. <laughs> Wow, <laughs> Kimi Räikkönen is the only driver nice. that was that, that that's on the current grid that raced at Imola in Formula One. Well, I mean, Lewis Hamilton must have, right? No, he never did. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, 2006. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I realized uh, between Hamilton and uh, Vettel, they both started in t- 2007, albeit at different times of the year. Right. Um. But yeah, that, wow, that's that's kind of wild to think of uh, how long ago 2006 actually was. All right. So now that we've gotten through all that, uh, so Chris, how would you rate this out of five stars? You know what? And I know that we picked this out specifically because we knew this was a good race. You know what? I'll, I'll give it a four and a half. How about? Um, because there were definitely a few times kind of, you know, after we came back from the first red flag where it was just kind of a race as normal. Um, where it wasn't absolutely constantly thrilling the whole way through. and uh, But the beginning of the race, even if it started under safety car, uh, was really wild to watch. Like, up to that first red flag was, you know, action every single lap, pretty much. Um, and then, you know, we come back from the red flag. Uh, we see another few safety cars. We see a lot of strategy going on. But then to top off, top it off, the last 10 laps are just pure racing with, uh, you know, Vettel, uh, Weber, Michael Schumacher, and uh, Jensen Button. You know, just some of the biggest names the sport's ever seen. And to see the four of them all battling each other um, is something that I think is just really rare and really cool to see. So, you know, if... 
I would definitely say a four and a half, if not a full on five. Excellent race. What about you, Doug? I, I'm I'm definitely with you. I'm de- I'm definitely with you on the four and a half stars. Uh, um, there's a lot of action throughout the entire, th- almost the entirety of the race. There's there's a couple a couple of lull points. Uh, um, I, I'm I'm pretty sure if we watch that race live, that what two hours, that two hour red flag period that we were able to, you know, in the modern era, able to fast yeah. forward through now uh, um, because we're watch- <laughs> not we're, we're not watching it actually live. Um, kind of helped a little bit, but it, you know, when they were actually racing, when they weren't, you know, driving around under the safety car, it was almost nonstop action, whether it was at the front or near the front, rather with, uh, uh Kobayashi defending, uh, Massa, whether it was, you know, Jensen buttons charge through the field, uh, there, there was, it, it was almost nonstop action. The only reason that, that, that I don't give it a, a five out of five is, you know, all the safety car laps. <laughs> Cause I can, I can imagine, yeah. you know, if there, if there weren't <laughs> as many safety car laps, just, just think of how many more, how, how much more action there would have been in this race. So yeah, de- I'm right. definitely with you. A, a nice solid four and a half. I mean, you got to take the good and the bad, you know, with the safety car laps. Cause you know, Vettel was way ahead of the rest of the field. Uh, with some of those safety cars, but you know the, sa- the safety car brought everyone back together to allow for some good close racing again. Um, the waiting was definitely kind of a bummer, but you know if you've ever been on a roller coaster, you, you got to wait for a little bit, and then it's all fun from there on out. So again, I would say a fantastic race, uh, really cool to uh, go back and watch this one and. I would say I enjoyed it just as much, if not more, than the first time I saw the race. Yeah, so that, that was the fun thing about this. I made this comment before we started recording. This is a race that even, I think we even said at the very beginning. This is a race that even though you know what's going to happen, it still keeps you on the edge of your seat. You know, it's like right. it's like watching your favorite movie, you know, for the 10th time. You know what's going to happen, but you're still like, ah, this is so cool. Right. You're watching it like, okay, there's no way Button can win this. How does he come from dead last after like three or four pit stops in the rain like that? Like he comes back and he wins? Wow. So, yeah. Excellent race. For sure. So that wraps up another episode of F1 Reviews. Uh, uh, For Chris Costas, I am Doug Austin. We'll see you next week after the British Grand Prix. The first of two at Silverstone, back-to-back. All right, we'll see you then.